time to talk Cardinals baseball with a World Series champion, Brad Thompson, on the Redbird Report podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome into another edition of the Redbird Report podcast brought to you by 101 ESPN. My name is Brad Thompson. I'll be your host and looking forward to getting into a, a few different items here as baseball games officially in spring training. Grapefruit League games for the Cardinals begin this upcoming Saturday against the Washington Nationals and then get a look at the Miami Marlins the following day. And it'll be our first look at Skip Schumacher, former Cardinal, former Cardinal bench coach. Uh, as his first time being a manager of a big league club. Excited to see that as well. Unfortunately today, we are going to start off with uh, some sad news as uh, the baseball world is mourning the passing of Cardinal Hall of Famer, broadcast Hall of Famer, 21 years in the major leagues. Tim McCarver passes away at the age of 81 years old. Tim McCarver, as you know, was a legend in the industry. But uh, before that, I mean, an incredible career. I mentioned the 21 years in the big leagues. He made his debut for the Cardinals in 1959, was an all-star in 66, 67, part of two World Series, champion teams in 64 and 67. Uh, Famously had an incredible relationship with Bob Gibson. I mean, one of the toughest, one of the best to ever do it. And he and Tim McCarver had that great relationship that really only pitchers and catchers can have. Also caught Steve Carlton nearly 40 years as a broadcaster. I mean, that is unheard of to do anything and to do it at the level that Tim McCarver did for almost 40 years. He broadcast 24 World Series 16 of those with Joe Buck. I mean, those guys were a staple. Go back and watch highlights of the championship team that I was fortunate enough to be on in 2006, and you're hearing McCarver break it all down. Heck, Tim McCarver was so talented that it was much more than just doing baseball. They had him doing all kinds of stuff. In in 1992, he was like the number two guy on the Winter Olympics. That's how talented and just how polarizing Tim McCarver was as a broadcaster. I think that one of the best traits that Tim McCarver had as a broadcaster, one, He was one of the best storytellers the game has ever had. Like, that guy would just spin a yarn. He'd make you laugh. He'd make you think. Uh, But uh, another part of what Tim did, and I I believe he did so well and better than many others that are out there, is he was never afraid to go out on a limb. And he was never afraid to have an opinion. And most famously, like one uh, that pops to mind was 2001. It was Game 7 of the World Series. It was uh, Luis Gonzalez at bat against Mariano Rivera. And he warned about it. He said, look, this happens a lot. He said the the cutter of Rivera into the lefties, the infield was drawn in. He said oftentimes there are those bloopers. The Yankees better watch out. And what happened? Luis Gonzalez, broken bat single to win it all. It was just one of those moments on the biggest stage where Tim McCarver was not afraid to go out there and say, hey, this is what I believe might happen. Uh, and uh, it ended up happening for him. So certainly a sad day for the baseball world, specifically the Cardinals uh, with with the relationship that they had with Tim McCarver and for all the fans because I I believe that Tim McCarver did such a good job of making you feel like you were part of it. Certainly an outpouring of emotions from the baseball world talking about Tim McCarver. Here's what Buster Olney of ESPN had to say about Tim McCarver. 
the best baseball analyst ever. He'll be the standard moving forward that others will try to reach. Earlier today, I talked with Aaron Boone, the Yankees manager, who sat in the seat of Sunday Night Baseball as an analyst, and I asked him what made Tim McCarver so great, and he talked about what a terrific storyteller he was, how he gave fans insight into the game with that great Tennessee draw that he had. He was very focusing, you know, and I know, that was informed by four decades in the major leagues, breaking in in the 1950s. 50s and his last year was in 1980 certainly some big praise right there from buster only of espn how about michael wilpon longtime pti host over at espn what did he have to say about tim mccarver you know i feel i've been fortunate in my life being able to listen to ub brown and tim mccarver and they're not the only two but they they just you know when you're around and you hear the stories i would rather listen to tim mccarver than watch some games maybe a lot of games McCarver was, you're so right, better storyteller than McCarver about baseball in our lifetimes? Come on now. There just wasn't. I think that Michael Wilpon is absolutely correct when it comes to Tim McCarver. There are times during a ball game where you might not even be focused on what's going on between the lines, but you're polarized by a story that he is telling. Uh, maybe it's about him and Bob Gibson or, or just, you know, whatever it is. He just lets you behind the curtain and had that innate ability to just get you intrigued by something and teach you something at the same time. And I agree uh, again with, with, with Mike. Arguably no better storyteller in the game of baseball than Tim McCarver. Again, sad to hear of his passing at the age of 81 years old. And really quickly before we get into the baseball stuff, like like uh, the, the Cardinals right here right now, like that, that storytelling part of that job and the job that I'm fortunate enough to do here currently, man, I think that that might be on the outs for various reasons, right? But But one is... The rule changes, right? Maybe that's something we'll, we'll get into a little bit later, but the rules are going to speed up here in spring training. We're going to see these starting on uh, on the first game on the 25th. We're going to see what the new rules look like. you got the new pitch clock that is going to be in effect. you got limited pickoffs. you got limited shifts. you got bigger bases. I mean, all kinds of different things, but the game is going to be expedited. And uh, look, we're going to see what exactly that looks like. But we'll leave the rules for a minute. We talked last podcast about NRIs, that's non-roster invites, that maybe we were excited to see and that might have a big-time opportunity in spring training. As we talked about last week, and Ollie Marmel, John Mosellock continue to talk about it early on in camp, this has got a chance to be one of the most competitive camps that we've seen in a long time. And oftentimes, when there's opportunity, you have players that rise to the occasion. So who are you excited to see rise to that occasion? i got a feeling that a lot of you just yelled at your phone or however the heck you're listening to this podcast. And again, I appreciate you listening to this podcast. You yelled Jordan Walker, didn't you? You yelled about the 20-year-old 6'5", just power-hitting monster. By the way, he also hits for average, and he has got a legit opportunity to show up in spring training and win a job. Now, let's be honest. I don't know if the Cardinals necessarily want Jordan Walker to win a job out of spring training. It has nothing to do with service time manipulation or anything like that. I'm just thinking that their hope is that Tyler O'Neill, 
Dylan Carlson, Lars Newbar from left to right, show up to spring. They're crushing the baseball, and everything is fine and dandy. You know that if Jordan Walker is going to be up, he's going to be getting every day's at-bats. He's not going to be a guy that's a fourth outfielder. You're going to have a 20-year-old stud prospect, top five prospect in all of baseball. You're going to have that dude playing each and every day. Uh, but if, if he comes in, to spring training and he is just lighting the world on fire and he's going to get plenty of opportunity as the Cardinals have uh, both Tyler O'Neill as we talked about and Lars Newbar they're both playing in the World Baseball Classic Tyler O'Neill's playing for Canada Lars Newbar is playing for Japan so there's going to be more reps in the corner outfields for guys like Jordan Walker Actually, saying guys like Jordan Walker makes no sense. There's not too many guys like Jordan Walker that are out there. But if he comes in and has that type of spring that many believe that he will do, and at the very least has the ability to do, how can you keep him off your roster? I don't think that you can. And I think that as a Cardinal fan, that's incredibly exciting. You look around baseball and you see all of these young studs that are coming up with teams. We saw the... uh, The Braves have Michael Harris show up in a big way. Young made the jump from double-A last year and did not hit too many roadblocks. We saw Julio Rodriguez, the MVP of the league, young guy that just comes up and starts tearing up the league. The Cardinals have done a really good job over the years of developing big league players. But it has been a while since the Cardinals have developed a star position player from inside the organization, right? I mean, I think that that's very fair. Who's the last guy? I mean, when you're thinking like star, star, last guy, arguably Albert Pujols. Like, is that fair to say that's the last star player? I would throw in Matt Carpenter as a guy. I realize that Matt's last couple of years as a Cardinal, the extension that he signed did not go as planned. But you look at Matt Carpenter's numbers, very, very good player, an all-star for the team. I realize that putting him and Albert in the same conversation are not exactly uh, – it, it doesn't – the comp's not there. It doesn't work perfectly. But a very good big league player that you ended up drafting. But he wasn't a high-round pick. I believe he was a 13th rounder as well. I mean, this is a kid in Jordan Walker who is touted very high. Who was the last Cardinal prospect that you had this sort of ceiling for or that you thought that you were going to get this much out of? Or are you at the point now where you've heard it so many times, you're like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And if you're, if you're that person, that's fine too. Like, I totally understand that because maybe you heard that about Colby Rasmus or, you know, pick your prospect, whoever that one was for you that you kept hearing over and over again and it did not live up to the hype. You know, the Cardinals organization got very fortunate uh, that Albert Pujols turned into the player that he did being selected in the 13th round of the draft. That doesn't generally happen, right? Uh, But Jordan Walker has such a unique skill set, a third baseman by trade, but uh, due to the fact that you have the best third baseman in baseball, and uh, look, maybe there's an argument for Machado if you want to, but I'll take uh, Nolan Arnato on my team anytime. He had to bounce to the outfield, and he has done a very good job of adapting to the position. So I hope that he comes out this spring and just lights it up. Like the organization has a big-time decision to make as to is this kid traveling north with us come opening day against the Toronto Blue Jays? Because if he's traveling, he's in the starting lineup. I would love to see the ovation for the young prospect at 20 years old in Jordan Walker. So the most entertaining, exciting, most polarizing non-roster invite certainly is Jordan Walker. But there are more that are out there. How about one of his buddies from the same draft class in Mason Wynn? 
I think that the organization would be honest with you, and the expectation with Mason Wynn was he'd be a pitcher by now, that it just wouldn't stick as a shortstop due to the fact that they weren't sure that his bat was going to translate to professional baseball. But to this point, it has. Across two levels last year, he started out in high A and ended up playing the majority of the season 86 games at Double A Springfield. He ended up hitting 283, a 364 OBP, and 832 OPS. So he was getting it done. Were there some adjustments at Double A for him? Yeah, he was also playing at Double A at 20 years old, just like Jordan Walker was. It's incredible how quickly these two guys have come through the organization. Now, uh, it, it's very safe to say if you put Mason Wynn in the big leagues on opening day, he can play shortstop as well as almost anybody in the league. Uh, he's just got that physical gift. I think everybody got to see his arm over at the Futures game last year where he threw one. I think it was like 101.5 or something like that across the diamond. Just a ridiculous cannon of an arm. But I think you need to give him some more time to develop as a bat in the minor leagues and figure out exactly what you've got there. What does he do against AAA pitching? AAA guys get a little bit more crafty, uh, end up uh, you have some veterans that are there, you have high-octane arms. So you just don't have that specific need to push Mason Wynn into the mix right now. You've got Tommy Edmond at shortstop. The organization feels very good about that. Over at second base, you're going to be bouncing around between Donovan and Nolan Gorman, and then the wild card, and I know that a lot of people are sick of talking about him at all, just, you know, we, we've had plenty of messages in while doing the radio show, just release him in Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung's a wild card. I don't know what you're going to get out of Paul. I hope it goes well, but don't know what you're going to get. I know he's a plus defender. I know he's got power, and I know that he's going to be in the mix in spring training. But Mason Wynn is exciting nonetheless. I can't wait to see what kind of an opportunity that he gets, what he does with it. I don't think that he'll be a guy that sticks around the entire spring. They're going to want to get him every day at bat so he gets ready for the regular season. But there's a lot of upside. That draft year, boy, they did a pretty good job of Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, and Tink Hentz is in the same draft as well. Tink Hentz will be a non-roster invite. You're talking about a guy that stuff-wise, okay, because he's not the biggest individual, just over six foot, weighs about a buck seventy, like just a slighter than you think of like these ace pitchers. Boy, he's got ace stuff. Tank Hentz is throwing mid to upper 90s. He's got a good curveball. He said his changeup has really come along as becoming a professional. So he's somebody else. Talk about non-roster invites that I really want to get a look at in spring training. This is a guy that pitched an A ball all of last year. He's got the strikeout stuff. I don't care how good Tink Hentz looks in spring training. I don't believe that there is a chance, and I don't think that he should, break with the big league club. But it's going to be a great experience for him to get that that opportunity to pitch in front of the major league coaching staff to have that pressure of a big league spring training because he has got the a stuff in the making we've talked about this a lot the Cardinals need more upside when it comes to their starting pitchers. They need more swing and miss stuff, and Tink Hentz has a ton of it, and it's going to continue to develop, so he's another one to keep an eye on. As is Gordon Graceffo. Gordon Graceffo made 26 starts last year, 18 of them in double-A. He had an ERA just under three. His fastball, he's 94 to 99. He's seen a huge uptick in the last couple of years in velo. He's got a plus slider. His changeup is getting better and better. Punches out about nine guys per nine innings. And this is a guy that the Cardinals have become really high on. Another guy that is just kind of 
really rocketing through the system. And I do believe that there is a chance that in spring training, if he is looking like one of the better arms out there, and I mentioned the, the 26 starts and certainly a starting pitcher, if he looks dominant, coming out of the pen there's a chance like you just never know where your best arms are the cardinals have a lot of depth when it comes to their rotation i think that they could afford taking a guy like Rusefo if they wanted to for a year and putting him in the pen now i don't know if those are the plans i do believe that gordon Rusefo could easily be in your 2024 rotation you'd love to build up the innings ahead of time for him but that's where you have to weigh the risk versus reward. If he's one of your better arms and you'd like to have him around, do you keep him? Do you make a, a spot for him in the pen? Chances are, and I would, if I were to bet on this, I'd say he start the year in the minor leagues, and then you'll see him up at some point during the season, but excited to get eyes on Gordon Graceffo as well. Another non-roster invite that uh, I'm just intrigued to see what they have is not a prospect because this guy is 30 years old and he's kind of bounced all over. Not all over, that's not fair. He made his Major League debut with the San Francisco Giants in 2018. He had 29 starts with them. Uh, he's also worked out of the bullpen at the big league level, just over 200 innings in the big leagues, but spent the last couple of years overseas. He pitched in Korea. It's Andrew Suarez, the lefty. We've talked a lot about the left side of the bullpen, and while there's upside there in the left side of the pen in Hennessy's Cabrera, you know what he can bring. I believe that Zach Thompson can be dominant from the left side when it comes to the pen. I also believe that he could be a very good starter for you depending on what you need, but I don't know exactly how the left side is going to shake out. I do believe it to be very important to have lefty relievers that you can really lean on and rely on. So it's going to be a big spring training for Andrew Suarez. He's not wanting to start the year in AAA. Like, he would love to be able to break camp with the team. And for a guy like Suarez at 30 years old, that opportunity starts on Saturday. Like, that starts first game. Whenever he gets into the first game, he's got to be ready to go. There is no easing into action when you're a guy like Suarez with the non-roster invite so I want to see what he does with this chance another guy that got taken off the Cardinals roster last year they ended up signing him back he's a non-roster invite and a guy that a couple of years ago when whenever I go to spring training I'll ask the guys that are down there hey who do I need to see like who's a guy that, that maybe I don't know about yet that I need to go check out and a couple of years back the answer was Cody Whitley so you got to go see this kid. He's got the stuff. He's got the makeup. We got the chance to see him in 43 games in the big leagues with the Cardinals, 14 of them last year. Uh, he, he dealt with some injuries. He dealt with some ineffectiveness. But he is still back in the organization. This is a guy that has had a taste of it, like what the big leagues are like. What does he have? What does he have in stock for the Cardinals this year? He knows how much this season is going to mean to him. He knows how much spring training is likely to mean to him. What does he do with it? We saw him. He's got the plus changeup. He's got that short arm arc delivery. Ball seems to get on the hitters pretty quickly. I want to see what these innings look like for him. Does he come out and dominate early on? Because I really do believe in this bullpen, even though you've got a lot of things that you think are set in stone, if you got guys striking out the world, you never know. He could insert himself into that bullpen, a lot like we saw Andre Pallante do last year. Pallante at the time, a less of a known quantity as Cody Whitley is, and he just showed up to spring. He was shoving against everybody, and the organization said, this dude's got to be here. He's got to be a part of what they're doing if you're Cody Whitley you're hoping for something like that to happen with this non-roster invite to spring training. 
So that's just a handful of guys I'm looking forward to watch in spring training. Obviously, the 40-man roster is going to be chock full of competition. The outfield competition is going to be fantastic. But the bullpen is certainly something to look at as we move forward here, getting ready for games to start again on Saturday. And I'm pumped up because I'm going to be heading to Florida on Friday, get there for the action. Game's going to be on Bally Sports Midwest, uh, the 25th and the 26th against Washington and against the Marlins. So getting things going again, it is going to be a, a lot of fun. Real quick, one, one more thought on the bullpen. Actually, a couple of thoughts. Uh, as you know, Cardinals went to arbitration with a couple of different players. Both those players in the bullpen, one of them, the aforementioned Henesis Cabrera. We talked about him from the left side. You know the upside, but we saw some ups and downs last year. Cardinals went to arbitration with him, and the Cardinals ended up winning their case against Henesis Cabrera. Henesis Cabrera was looking for $1.15 million. Uh, the Cardinals filed at 950000 so the arbitrator did side with the Cardinals. And not a huge difference, really, between those two. Uh, relatively, okay, look, we'd all like that, whatever that difference is right there. But uh, between the two sides. But the other guy they went to arbitration with is Ryan Helsley. And there was a bigger delta there between the two numbers. So Helsley's camp filed at $3 million. The Cardinals filed at $2.15 million, and arbitrators sided with the Cardinals yet again. So the Cardinals go 2-0 in arbitration against a couple of their relievers. And I think that the big question here is, as I'm sure a lot of you by now have heard Corbin Burns and him talking about his arbitration case and the way that the Brewers went about it. And if you haven't heard, he was upset. Like he, he was angry how the Brewers, he felt like, attacked him. Now, we all know this. It's a really weird part of the business. Once you get to arbitration, you finally have a right to fight for your money. And the organization is going to fight for their money as well. So you go into a room and you try to make a case for how good you are. Oftentimes, maybe it's just your, your agent that does it, but the player can be there. And Corbin Burns was there. And... The other side of it is the team telling you why you're not worth that money. So they decided to just tear down Cor uh, Corbin Burns. He had mentioned that part of what the case was for the Brewers is arguing that he is one of the biggest reasons they didn't end up making the postseason because of the way that he finished. Boy, that's a dirty business to be in when you're attacking a guy that won a Cy Young two years ago. He strikes out the world, and he's one of the most dominant starting pitchers in the game of baseball. So when asked if there was any bad blood between he and the organization, he basically said, look, I'm not going to forget this. That's for sure. He said, I know where I stand now with the organization. So that is, uh, that is ugly when it happens like that. So the question is, is there any fear of bad blood in these two arbitration cases between Ryan Helsley and Henesis Cabrera? Ryan Helsley said all of the right things uh, about it. He did mention the fact that this is a, it's a business thing. That's how it works. You know, he believes in the number that he put out there, but he's going to live with the arbiter's uh, decision, which you have to do anyhow, and just go about his business. Ryan Helsley turned into... One of the most dominant relievers in the game of baseball last year, I know the MLB top 10 now had him at number 10, 
think they might have undershot it there with Ryan Helsley. Like, he had such a year last year. I know it didn't end up the way that anybody wanted to. Certainly Ryan Helsley wanted to. But you are going to rely heavily on Helsley closing out games for you. You're back into the bullpen. It's going to be Helsley. It's going to be Geo. You expect Hicks to be in that mix. But you're going to need Ryan Helsley to be that dominant closer once again. No reason to believe that he won't. But I do understand the questions. Like, I saw a bunch of the social media about it's like hey you're gonna fight over this all-star closer for eight hundred thousand dollars and fracture a relationship unfortunately that's part of the game right it works out well for the player sometimes he's gonna have an opportunity by the way like this case not going his way that doesn't stop any potential talks and I know that they've already had some internal talks about this with he and his agent on a multi-year deal maybe buying out the rest of his arbitration they couldn't come up with anything before this hearing but that doesn't mean that those things can't happen but I wouldn't worry about that when it comes to this year for Ryan Helsley for Hennessy's Cabrera both those guys going to go back out there Helsley looking to build off the great campaign he had in 2022 and Hennessy's Cabrera is looking to rebuild some of that greatness that he had two years ago and we saw flashes of it last year all right, I appreciate you guys tuning in to the Redbird Report podcast. We've got plenty more to get into. I think I'm going to try to get another podcast in before the game start this weekend. So I do want to really dig into the rule changes, how they affect different things, what we should expect, and are we looking forward to it? Are we going to like how this ends up looking? I do want to, again, send my condolences out to the friends, to the family, to the fans for the passing of Tim McCarver at 81 years old. He is definitely going to be missed in Cardinal Nation. It's the Redbird Report. I'm Brad Thompson. We'll catch you again next time. You've been listening to the Redbird Report podcast with Brad Thompson on 101 ESPN. Check out every episode at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app.